This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. The night sky for September 2019. Well, at least we don't have to wait up so late to see a dark sky, assuming, of course, the moon isn't too high in the sky. The three constellations, Lyra with Vega, Cygnus with Deneb, and Aquila with Altair, are still visible high up towards slightly towards the southwest. Those three stars make up what's called a summer triangle, but as it gets darker earlier in the evening, it's actually still visible well into the late autumn. And as I've often said, if with binoculars you start at Altair, the lowest of the three, and work your way up towards Vega, about a third of the way you might come across a nice little asterism formerly Brocky's cluster, but we all call it the coat hanger. It looks like an upside-down coat hanger. Over to the left is a rather faint, but rather sweet constellation called Delphinus the Dolphin. Now moving over and rising towards the south as the evening progresses is Pegasus, the upside-down winged horse. It gives you one way of finding the nearest giant galaxy to us, Andromeda. If one starts at the top left-hand corner of the square of Pegasus, Pegasus, which is actually in Andromeda, it's called Alpha Rats, go to the left one star, around a little bit to the next bright star, then fork right, 90 degrees, to another fairly bright star, and the same distance again, even with your eyes on a dark night or with binoculars, you should see a fuzzy blob, and that's the Andromeda Galaxy. Now, high above Andromeda is the constellation of Cassiopeia. And the three rightmost stars form a V. And that's another way to find Andromeda. Just follow the angle of the arrow and you will actually find the Andromeda galaxy. So, some nice things to see in the southern sky during the month. Well, what about the planets? Well, we don't have a a great... uh, number of planets to see because three of them are essentially behind the sun but the other night i observed both jupiter and saturn low in the south towards the southwest jupiter shines on the first of september magnitude minus 2.2 falling a bit to minus two during the month and it can be seen in the south as darkness falls as the month progresses, its angular size drops from 39 to 36 arc seconds. But that's still pretty good. So you can see features on the surface like the great red spot and the bands, the equatorial bands. And on the night sky page, just search for night sky jodrell, I give a list of the rather few times when it's dark that the great red spot, becoming rather less great nowadays, will be facing the Earth. It's now moving eastwards again, having stopped its retrograde motion back in August. So it's moving away from Antares in Scorpius, initially lying some seven degrees up and to its left. Sadly, it's heading well towards the southernmost part of the ecliptic. So as it appears in twilight, we'll only have an elevation of around 13 degrees. With such a low elevation atmospheric dispersion will take its toll and as i saw the other night you get a little bit of color fringing there's a device called an atmospheric dispersion corrector you can buy for just over 100 pounds it uses two prisms to try and compensate for the effects of the atmosphere 
and that would probably help you improve your view of the giant planet. Now Saturn, it crosses the meridian, so it's highest in the sky, but still only around 13-14 degrees, at around 9pm BST as September begins. Its disk is 17.6 arc seconds across, and the rings, which are still nicely tilted from the line of sight, span some 41 arc seconds across. And by month's end, it'll be best seen around 8pm, when lying just west of south. During the month, the brightness falls from plus 0.3 to plus 0.5, and the angular size drops to 16.9 arc seconds. Again, lying in the southwestern side of the Milky Way, it's at the lowest point of the ecliptic, and sadly it will take some years before it rises up to higher elevations. But I could suggest that you travel down to Australia, New Zealand, or South Africa, when both Saturn and Jupiter are very high in the sky. Mercury passes behind the Sun, and that's called superior conjunction, on the night of September the 3rd, 4th, so will not be visible this month. Likewise, Mars, which passes behind the Sun on September the 2nd, lies too close to the Sun to be visible. We'll have to wait until about the end of October to spot it in the pre-dawn sky at the start of its next apparition. Though Venus went behind the Sun on the 14th of August, sadly by month's end it will be setting in the west-southwest about 30 minutes after sunset, but will be very difficult to see due to the fact that the ecliptic is at a shallow angle to the horizon, so Venus will have a very low elevation. You might well need binoculars to spot it, but please do not use them until after the sun has set. Well, finally, a few highlights. Well, I've mentioned Saturn, and on the night sky page it talks quite a bit about Saturn. It rotates quickly with a day of just ten and a half hours, so it bulges slightly, appears a little squashed. Like Jupiter, it does show belts, but their colours are muted in comparison. And the thing that makes Saturn stand out, of course, is its ring system. The two outermost rings, A and B, easily seen in a small telescope, are separated by a gap called Cassini's division. But lying within ring B, and far less bright and difficult to spot, is a sea or crepe ring. Now on the night sky page, I give little charts to find some of the nice things to see in the sky. I've mentioned the globular cluster in Hercules M13 and the double-double in Lyra. Two stars which with binoculars appear as a double star, but with a telescope under good seeing, each of those two stars is itself a double. Later in September, is a good time to look high in the southeast towards the constellations of Cassiopeia and Perseus. Just into the border of Perseus is a rather lovely pair of clusters called the Double Cluster. Little smudge, perhaps with your unaided eye, or with binoculars or a small telescope, can look very pretty. And then down in Perseus is the star Algol, called the Demon Star. It's an eclipsing binary system. Now, normally, the pair has a steady magnitude of plus 2.2. But every 2.86 days, this briefly drops to magnitude plus 3.4. Two times when you might just spot that in universal time are on the 12th at 2343 
and the 15th at 2031. It is a month, given the smallish or medium-sized telescope, to find Neptune. On the nights of the 5th to the 9th is a great time to look for it, as it's very close to the fourth magnitude star Phi Aquarii. There's a star chart on the night sky page. With a magnitude of 7.8, large binoculars or a small telescope will be required to spot it. A medium aperture telescope will reveal Neptune's disk, showing a hint of blue-grey. And with such a telescope, you might also be able to spot its 14th magnitude moon, Triton. And on the night of the 5th-6th of September, it lies just 13 arc seconds from Phi Aquarii. So if you can find that star, you should be able to spot Neptune. On September the 9th, you'll find Jupiter quite close towards the moon a day after first quarter. And I usually mention a couple of objects or an object or so on the moon. And a good night to observe two great lunar craters is the night or the evening of September the 8th because the Terminator lies close to them and it makes all the details show up much better. Tycho is towards the bottom of the moon in a densely cratered area called the Southern Lunar Highlands. It's a relatively young crater, which is about 100 million years old, has a diameter of 85 kilometres and is nearly 5 kilometres deep. Copernicus, on the other hand, is much older, at about 800 million years old. It lies in the eastern Oceanus Procolarum, beyond the end of the Apennine Mountains. It's 93 kilometres wide and nearly 4 kilometres deep. And is a classic terrace crater. With a telescope, you can actually see the walls stepping down like a telescope. With a telescope, you can actually see the walls stepping down like a terrace. And both, of course, can be seen with reasonable-sized binoculars. So I do hope, now with darker skies and hopefully some clear skies, we haven't had many of those in August, I must say, you'll have a chance to have a look at our lovely Northern Hemisphere sky. Thanks for that, Ian. And for our Southern Hemisphere listeners, here's Haratina Mogasanu and Samuel Lesk with the night sky where you are. from New Zealand. Hi everyone. We're here at Space Place at Cat Observatory holding galactic conversations from the heart of Wellington in the Southern Hemisphere, my favorite place to be with the music of the amazing Rian Sheehan, our Wellingtonian star composer. I'm Haritina Mogoshanu. And I'm Samuel Liske. Space Place is our historical astronomy icon here in New Zealand and we are located right at the heart of our capital city. And we're so lucky to be among the capital cities in the world from where you can still see the Milky Way. And we're bringing you the night sky in September along with a special guest, Alina. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm Alina. I'm from Almaty, Kazakhstan, and I'm visiting New Zealand on the Watson Fellowship. I'm studying around astronomy around the world and how it inspires everyone and why people like to look at the night sky. 
And it's awesome that you're with us. Did you know that on the 23rd of September, in the Northern Hemisphere, the seasons change, but here in New Zealand on the 1st of September, that it becomes spring and we say goodbye to winter. That's because in the Southern Hemisphere, we've got a heap more ocean than land. And did you also know that you can spot more than four planets in the sky in September? Wow. Prepare your telescopes if you don't have telescopes. Join us at Space Place at Cut Observatory where we have telescope viewings every Tuesday, Friday and Saturday nights clear skies. Or if you missed Sam's course, Telescope 101, we will have another Telescope 101 course in December. Or prepare your binoculars. A little bit about September. Uh, so September comes from the Latin word septum, which means seven. This is because in the old Roman calendar, it was the seventh month rather than the ninth as it is today. The old Roman calendar used to only have 10 months until Julius Caesar introduced a new Julian calendar with 12 months. Which he named after himself. <laughs> September has 30 days and marks the autumn season in the Northern Hemisphere and spring in the Southern Hemisphere. This is the time of harvest and when many schools start their new school year in the Northern Hemisphere. Here in New Zealand, it is the month when we celebrate the September equinox when the day is equal to the night. What's the sun up to? Sun rises at 6.47am on the first day of September and earlier and earlier every day all through the month. And on the 28th of September, it rises at one minute past six. However, the clock will shift by one hour. So on the 30th of September, it will rise at 6.57am. Wow. The sun sets at 5.55pm on the 1st of September and later and later until it sets at 7.24pm on the 30th of September. The days are getting longer. Finally. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, we're not really happy about that because we have shorter nights, so then we don't get to see as many stars as That's we right. did in the winter months. But we can guarantee we'll get a few, lots of cold EMS still. Right, which will keep us even more inside the house. Yes. <laughs> September 23rd marks the September equinox. Here in New Zealand is known as the vernal equinox. And that's when... Spring's already begun. So we can get ready for warmer and longer days, I wish, as you just said. On the equinox, the day and night are roughly the same length. The word equinox comes from Latin words equal and nox is night. As the month goes, the days will be longer than the nights until we reach summer solstice, when Sam is going to teach his... uh, other telescope 101 course. The equinoxes occur only twice per year, so this is a very special astronomical event of the year and you experience it every September. In September, the Sun transits the first the zodiacal constellation of Leo and then moves into Virgo on the 17th of September, where it stays until October the 31st. The zodiacal constellations are those stars visible behind the plane of our solar system, about eight degrees each side of the ecliptic. This is why we say they form a band in the sky called the zodiacal band. Since the sun is transiting both the space we call Leo and Virgo, it means we cannot see the stars in these constellations because they are behind the sun. So don't look through the sun. You'll go blind. Unless... You've got a solar telescope and it's well maintained and you know it is in tip-top condition. And then you can look at the sun. What if it isn't? Well, then don't look it through it because you'll go blind. Okay. 
So the sun in Virgo means only means only one thing, opposite the sun that's 180 degrees on the other side of the zodiacal band is Pisces. Pisces will rise just after sunset and will be visible all night long. In September, the constellation of Scorpius is the fishhook of Maui that drags the Milky Way down from the sky here in Aotearoa. And we still get to admire the amazing galactic center and the Milky Way Kiwi inside it. We'll talk about Scorpius in a moment. Uh, many cultures and languages have various names for the Milky Way. In Kazakh, the Milky Way is called Kusjole, meaning the bird's road. In addition to the Milky Way, if you're stargazing from somewhere with very dark skies, you can spot what is called a zodiacal light. It's a cone-shaped light that stretches from low on the horizon along the ecliptic. The ecliptic marks the plane of our solar system bearing the zodiacal constellations. The ecliptic is a great circle in the celestial sphere representing the sun's apparent path during the year, so-called because lunar and solar eclipses can only occur when the moon crosses it. The zodiacal light is the light that we see reflected from dust and ice particles in the plane of our own solar system. How cool is that? So in the sky, we can see both the galaxy that we inhabit and the solar system, two completely different scales. Yeah, it's amazing. This month, you can see many planets, both with just your naked eye and with the help of telescopes or binoculars. We continue to see Jupiter near the constellation of Scorpius throughout the month of September in the evening sky. Jupiter is the largest planet in our solar system and mostly consists of gas. It takes Jupiter about 12 years to make its way around the sun, so coincidentally, we can see Jupiter in in different zodiacal signs around the ecliptic each year. Next year, look out for this planet near the constellation Sagittarius. That's why uh, in the Chinese zodiac, each sign lasts for a year. It was based on Jupiter's observations. Some Kazakh books say that Jupiter used to be named Yesek Kurgan, which translates as literally someone who killed the donkeys. No. And this was based on a legend where the merchants had to uh, move the cattle from one village to another, and they had to do it when Venus rose in the morning sky. However, they've mistaken Jupiter for Venus, and they left too early, so their journey was too long and all the donkeys died. But some people don't believe that could be the sort of explanation or the name for Jupiter, so they think that Jupiter actually means Yeskakaran, which means the ancient star. Mm. Wow, so must be a lot of donkeys in the... Or maybe not donkeys anymore. Well, they yeah. do have to mix <laughs> They're up. gone. Yeah. Saturn. We can also enjoy the view of Saturn this month again. Near Sagittarius, Saturn, with its magnificent rings, continues to grace us with its presence. You can easily see the rings through a telescope here at Space Lace. But unfortunately, you cannot discern the rings with just your eyes. And Galileo Galilei tried to look at uh, those rings with a telescope. He thought he saw ears on for Saturn. It turns out it was rings, which look a whole lot better. Other planets in our solar system have rings. Saturn's rings are very bright for us to see. They're not going to be there for too long. They're going to be gone in about 300,000 years or so, I heard. In place, Mars will have rings because one of Mars's moons will kind of like come and smash into the planet. And also, it is believed that Neptune will be another planet that will have rings and both these planets will destroy their moons to do so. And of course, Jupiter has rings, but you can't see them unless you've got a special infrared camera. You can also catch a view of the planet Venus just after the sun sets later in the month. Venus is often referred to as the evening or morning star because it can be seen just before sunrise and after sunset near the sun. 
Ancient Kazakh nomads called the evening appearance of Venus the shepherd star because its appearance coincided with when the cattle needed to be driven home. On the other hand, the morning Venus was called Chopin and it was associated with a young woman and the foremother of the Kazakhs. Venus is also joined by Mercury in September, although much fainter. You can see Mercury paired close with Venus later in September, also right following sunset. Mercury is the closest planet to the sun in our solar system and can be difficult to observe, but it's possible if you time it right. It's actually quite bright, so it's quite not too bad to see, you just got to know where to look. Interestingly, Mercury is the closest planet to Earth on average because it's so close to the sun. You would think it would be Mars. Yeah. Or Venus, the most, yeah, but most of the time those ones are like the other side of the sun. Right. Yeah. There's a little trick. So Venus is the next close planet to... Yeah, yeah. Or Venus is theoretically when they're very close, the closest planet to mm. Earth. In the late evening and morning sky, you can see the farthest planet from the sun in the solar system, Neptune, on the eastern skies this month. Don't try looking for it with your naked eye as it is the only planet in our solar system not visible to the naked eye. But with some help from telescopes or binoculars, you can see this ice giant planet and it will look like a bluish dot. Quite a delight to see. Though I imagine you wouldn't be able to see Uranus that easy, would you? Well, um, we're actually asked this question every single day at Carter Observatory. and um, Probably because it sounds funny more than interest it, in the planet. It, it, yeah, well, th- this is another yet another planet with rings. And its name is derived from the Greek word for heavens or starry sky, Uranus. It has. It's actually an amazing planet if you look at it. It's, it first of all, it's got this beautiful aquamarine color. And it wheels around the solar system like a bicycle wheel. They should have stuck with George, though. George, yeah. Then we wouldn't have had all of those jokes. The first name (laughs) of planet Uranus was George. As Alina said, it would take a whole separate podcast to talk about Uranus. Yep, it's quite a remarkable planet, but we only have so much time. So I just recommend looking out for it yourself and seeing this planet and thinking of all the unique features that it has. Scorpius, Centaurus, and the Saturn Cross. This time of the year, as we said before, in Aotearoa, the Maori name for Scorpius is Temata o Maui, the fish hook of Maui that drags the Milky Way from the sky all night long. The constellation Scorpius has a magnificent red supergiant star Antares. It's really impossible to miss on a clear night. It has a very reddish look. And it looks just like the planet Mars, actually, if you've seen Mars before. In fact, its name is derived from Greek, meaning rival to Aries, Aries being the Greek reference to the god Mars. South of Scorpius, you can find the constellation of Centaurus, a creature that is half human and half horse in Greek mythology. Although the constellation itself is more difficult to discern, it contains two very well-known star systems in the southern hemisphere, Alpha and Beta Centauri. Alpha Centauri is the closest star system to Earth. It's only about 4.37 light years away. So it takes light 4.37 years to reach it, or that long for the light from there to come here. As a reference, it takes about 8 minutes for light to reach us from the Sun. It's a triple star system. There was an exoplanet discovered orbiting Proxima Centauri, one of the three stars in this system. Proxima Centauri is actually the closest star to our solar system, and it's a red dwarf, and it has a magnitude of 11, which means that we can actually see Proxima Centauri with a telescope. That's right, just not with your eye. Well, with your eye through a telescope, yes. 
Alpha and Beta Centauri can be used as pointers to what is arguably the most well-known constellation in the Southern Hemisphere, the Southern Cross or Crux. It is actually on the New Zealand flag, if you ha haven't noticed yet. It's seen year-round in New Zealand, which naturally brings us to the next part of our discussion, the circumpolar objects in New Zealand. What does that mean, circumpolar objects? Well, circumpolar objects are objects that rotate around the celestial pole. These objects are above the horizon at all times in a given latitude. For instance, Cassiopeia is circumpolar from Europe, but here in Wellington we can't even see it. It's hidden by the Earth. We could if Earth would have been transparent, but it's not. But it's not. Hmm. Well, suppose if we had a really high, high tower, you might, that went sort of into orbit. Anyway, here on the other hand, we have the Are Southern Cross. Are you talking Cross. about the um, space elevator? Yeah. We had a space elevator, maybe we could see Cassiopeia. But anyway, here on the other hand, we're in the Southern Cross. That's our circumpolar um, object with the pointers that also circumpolar. The Diamond Cross and the False Cross are also circumpolar, and Canopus and Arcana are also circumpolar as well. The same for the Magellanic Clouds, Omega Centauri, 47 Tucani, the Jewel Box, the Southern Pleiades, Gem Cluster, and Omicron Warum. Being circumpolar, it means that they turn around once every 23 hours and 56 minutes. That's why they're always somewhere else in the sky. If you look at them. In September, in the evenings, you will find the Southern Cross in the southwestern part of the sky. So just after sunset, it's kind of like in the three o'clock position, heading down, followed by the pointers in the circumpolar zone. Canopus would be at the same time grazing the southern horizon. And because we have so many hills here in Wellington, would be hard to see. You have to wait a few hours for it to come back up. And Akinar and the two Magellanic clouds at sunset would be in the southeastern part of the sky. Bright stars. Okay, so next up, we're, um, what are some bright stars near the ecliptic? Very close to the ecliptic are Spica in Virgo early in the month. Spica means the head of grain from Latin, actually, and it's the grain that the Virgo constellation is holding. We can also see stars Zubanel Ganubi and Zubanel Shamali in Libra. Well done! And you're the this only is other, our test. You're the only other person on the planet that can pronounce it. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> and we can see Nunki in Sagittarius, and um, the ecliptic intersects the Milky Way in Scorpius. So the stars of the Milky Way are starting from the center of the galaxy, going north, are Shola, and the sting, which is the stinger of Scorpius. Atria in the Terangulum Australe. Why are you putting all these ones on we can't even pronounce? Well, yeah, I mean, we have to. You know. Right, other bright stars. In the north, we can see the bright star Altair in Aquila, the constellation of the Eagle, the triangle-shaped constellation in northeastern skies. Canopus, of course, is there. The brightest star in the southern hemisphere continues to shine bright and can be seen near the horizon in the southern skies. And, of course, as our listeners can hear, it absolutely doesn't matter how we pronounce the stars because their names were invented very, very long time ago, so we don't even know what these people meant. Yeah, and they probably weren't that great at spelling. And you can make your own constellations if you want. This is what we've learned here. Hmm. Right, other stuff in the sky. There's uh, dark patches. We talk about those. Mickey wakey wee. That's right. The other famous dark patch is Milky the Colsack, <laughs> other than the Milky Way Kiwi, <laughs> is the Colsack near the Southern Cross. The Colsack is also known as the Flounder, which is the Maori name for it. Indeed, if you find a truly dark sky, you will see the resemblance. You really can see it. You, you can. You've got to have a dark sky. Yeah. However, talking about naming objects in the sky, the name of Colsack is also very appropriate 
as a dark patch made of the interstellar dust matter that's inside the uh, or near the jewel box or the Kappa Crucis cluster NGC 4755 so is that made of coal? Hmm? the interstellar medium is it made of coal? yeah because it's a sack of coal it's actually quite a wee way from the jewel box so it's behind um, in front of the jewel box no 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 it's actually if you look at um, the jewel box angular distance it's, it's actually a little away from it hmm. yeah. other deep sky objects some of these uh, deep sky objects that you can point with a telescope butterfly cluster or M6 an open cluster in the constellation of Scorpius wishing well um, open cluster in Carina and Saturn Pinwell galaxy in Hydra and actually we looked at some of these objects with the telescope in the last month so Alina Tell us about your research and tell us what are you doing in New Zealand? I guess the project that I'm pursuing here on the fellowship is sort of was inspired by the question of why should we look at the sky, even perhaps not always for practical reasons, but more so as a hobby or um, what kind of benefits it has to people. So this year I'll be traveling around and meeting with people that work at different observatories, planetariums, meeting with different astronomical societies and just seeing what inspires and interests people about astronomy and I guess seeing how it also has connection to I guess the history of the place and um, the connection, the personal connection that people may have with the stars and what kind of benefits it can bring um, to others. But this is such an amazing project and you've chosen to, to do this for your career. Yes, so I'll be pursuing like astronomy professionally and starting next fall, but this year is about me learning more the uh, personal side of astronomy and just what it means to uh, many people around the world who love to look at the stars just like me. <laughs> so everyone, if you listen to this podcast and you're going to meet Alina, <laughs> host her. No, <laughs> She's amazing. She's been here with us in Wellington. What's your background? What did you study? Oh, uh, so in university I studied astronomy and physics and also actually classics. So some of, I guess, uh, ancient Greek classes too. And yeah, just finished my uh, undergraduate degree in Maine. So is that classical studies, do they help you with the astronomy and with the communication part of it? or? Um, I think it was mostly for my own... Well, I think they just helped me be like a better learner because like when you learn languages, I think you learn a lot of the useful skills. So not directly applicable to astronomy, but um, it was partially inspired by astronomy because so many Greek uh, names that we use in astronomy even today and all the constellations come from there so yeah what was the sky in Kazakhstan like? oh to be honest to, like to this day it's like one of the most beautiful skies I've seen it was probably on a train ride like across Kazakhstan it, because I think at least like the parts that I was passing on the train were um, not like very densely populated and I remember like looking out the window and just seeing like really purple and like very like sort of bulging stars and the Orion and just looking out of the, of the train but I don't go stargazing very often at home just because I live in the city but you know moments like that I remember because it's like very very clear if you go out into the countryside and maybe I'll do that once I'm back home. <laughs> have, you, have you been to Star City? Where they, where they launched the um... no I actually haven't been I've been planning to and yeah year after year I you know I study or have like internships in the summer or something and never have enough time to visit the, yeah. but that's the goal I guess for the next time that I'm back home is definitely to visit it cool yeah, it would be really exciting yeah. yeah so what made you study astronomy out of everything 
I think, well, it's definitely like the big questions. I kind of got into astronomy more through like my early interest in math and then physics, and then I wanted the more sort of bigger picture questions, and that led to astronomy. And also, I grew up, you know, hearing about Yuri Gagarin, who was the first man in space. And even though he wasn't like an astronomer, he was an astronaut, that kind of inspired some thoughts about something related to outer space. <laughs> So yeah, that's how it came out to be, and、um, I think actually I love to hear how other people get become interested. Like some people do it through stargazing, or you know, like me through physics or some some other ways. So it's always curious to hear how people like want to study astronomy. So that's going to be part of your project. That is part of my project too. Well,、uh, yeah, I found out that when talking to a lot of people and asking questions, that it's really interesting to find out how they got even interested in astronomy in the first place. So yeah. I think your project is amazing to travel the world and go to planetaria, to observatories, and talk to people about what moves them in the stars. And it, it, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic opportunity that you created for yourself because you put your hand out to do this research, right? Yeah, I mean, I really hope that through my travels, I guess I can inspire others to sort of, you know, stop and look at the stars, and maybe even if you live in the city, to. Sort of have this desire to reconnect to maybe environment more, and I think it has a lot of good benefits to happiness or outlook on life. So yeah, it piques curiosity of a lot of people, and hopefully, like my travels can inspire others as well. Awesome. Well, wonderful. We wish you very wonderful, awesome travels. How do you say this in English? We wish you wonderful, awesome, magical trips. <laughs> magical travels. <laughs> Thank you. Around the world.、Uh, I've enjoyed my time in New Zealand a lot, and yeah, I hope every place is just as you know welcoming as it has been here. I want to also thank、uh, Zira Nowers Bible for all the information about the Kazakh mythology in astronomy. Well, thank you, and we hope we keep in touch, and maybe we can yes, have you、sure. yeah, back in our show and <laughs>、yeah. tell us about what you've seen on all those、uh, beautiful skies around the world. And until next time, from Wellington here in New Zealand, Alina and Haritina and Samuelisti, we wish you a fantastic September and clear skies. Always, <laughs> always clear, clear skies. skies. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Stars in small but representative regions of the sky, we find that the total number of stars in the Milky Way is about 400 billion. It's a lot of stars.